Hello, welcome to the latest instalment of the IEC podcast. Today I'm joined by two industry experts and we're going to be talking about a piece of research that's just come out that talks about what's happened to, to candidates in the job market in, in this current environment in terms of applications. Um, are there certain groups that, that might be getting through, might not be, and also what the possible impact of technology could be, etc. So my name is Steve Isherwood. I'm Chief Executive of the ISE. If you haven't listened to one of our podcasts before, we keep them broadly informal. We think we'll be about 45 minutes in conversation. Um, we'd love to get your comments off the back of it. So if you want to get in touch and ask us any questions that come out of this, please do. And also please look for our, our other podcasts. We've been doing these for a number of months now, covering a whole range of topics. So there's plenty of stuff to go back and, and have a listen to. And that's all to do with our industry. Um, so let's get some introductions first. Um, ben, first of all, can I get you to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So my name's uh, Ben Jackson. I'm the uh, MD of a uh, company called Cogency Labs, um, and we basically help organisations to optimise uh, candidate employee experience through uh, HR and recruitment technology, amongst, uh, amongst other things, process and, uh, and people and all that kind of stuff. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. And James, to my alma mater, EY, would you like to introduce yourself and say hello? Sure, no problem. So, yeah, I'm James Gordanifer. I lead student recruitment for EY in the UK. Typically, we hire around about 1,000 graduates and apprentices a year uh, and something like 600 across different experiences like internships and insight programmes as well. Uh, glad to be joining you today. Real. Thanks, James. Um, so James and I have read the report, Ben, but a number of our listeners may not have done yet. So do you want to just give us the highlights in terms of why you did the research and what the key findings were? Sure. So I guess as an organisation that we um, that was set up originally to kind of try and crack this kind of uh, candidate experience conundrum uh, that everyone's kind of trying to uh, deal with, we were really, really keen to do some research to actually look into how the candidate experience uh, um, has been. And we actually planned originally to do this a little bit sooner. But of course, then the dreaded COVID got in the way. And actually, over time, we, we kind of slightly shifted the emphasis of the report to really focus on the impact that COVID has had on the, the candidate experience and to try and understand where things were OK. Let's celebrate some of the, the good stuff that's going on, but also obviously try and pull out some of the challenges that um, people are facing. I think it's you know, it's pretty fair to, to say that everyone can see that the job market is challenging at the moment. Um, obviously, there are pockets that are doing well, and we've certainly seen huge growth in things like the um, uh, the grocery sector and so on over the last year. But it's tough out there. And um, what we were particularly uh, keen to do right from the very start is a, a kind of a detailed demographic breakdown of the experience, so rather than just look at it kind of overall, try and understand how it's affecting different groups and whether or not there were any trends within that. So that was really, I guess, the reason for um, for doing it. We conducted the survey. It was a survey of uh, 400 job seekers, uh, which we conducted in mid-December uh, of last year. So um, obviously, you know, once the um, kind of the impact of COVID had really been felt. Yeah, there's been some interesting findings. And I'll be honest with you, some of them were exactly what we expected and some of them were not what we expected at all. So just in terms of a kind of a couple of um, headlines, I know we're going to talk in a little bit more detail about some of them in a second. I think one of the key stats, um, which was came as a bit of a surprise to us, that was that 78% of those uh, job seekers who'd found jobs within the six months running up to the point that we did the research, 78% of them said that they were either still looking for something better or were waiting to see how the job panned out before deciding whether or not they wanted to stay in it, which 
you know, if it was 30 or 40%, you kind of think, well, yeah, that's about right. But 78% seems, seems huge. There's some interesting stats around ghosting. 12% of our uh, job seekers said that they had had no contact at all from uh, the recruitment teams that they'd dealt with. 75% of our job seekers said it had become much harder to find jobs in the last quarter of uh, 2020, which, let's be honest, was kind of what we, what we expected to hear. Interestingly, on average, our uh, respondents said that it took around about 50 minutes, so just under an hour, um, to apply for a single vacancy. And of course, when you look at that in the context of application numbers going up, so people having to apply for more roles in order to um, secure something in a, in a tougher climate, that's a lot of time that people are spending on applications. So uh, that was an interesting stat as well. But there's, there's plenty more, obviously, in the report. But I think those are the key ones that I wanted to bring out right at the start here. Great. That's, that's really useful. Thanks, Ben, for that, that sort of that overview. Um, so, James, that research was on a whole range of job seekers, not just early talent. But were there any particular pieces that resonated for you in terms of the early talent space? Because you recruit both graduates, don't you, and also school leavers apprentices? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ben's touched on a couple of things there that are quite interesting. I think, you know, we're all well versed and understanding of a lot of the stats that we hear about uh, Gen Z uh, and the intention to move a certain number of times within their career. And certainly in the early stages as well, that, that's obviously a big concern. And, you know, when, when people are joining organisations virtually and you, you're worrying and thinking about, oh God, how can we integrate these individuals, give them the best possible learning experience, help them feel connected to one another you know that that challenge is almost magnified um so definitely that's something certainly on our minds at ey and what we can do to really add value the, the other bit that stood out for me in the report though as well was around you know the notion of feeling supported in the recruitment process that you rightly pointed out you know as applications uh, increase um but also as well you know at this particular age group the level of support and and, and encouragement you give individuals is is absolutely key um so to read that you know kind of a high degree of uh, individuals feel either not supported or, or simply ignored in the recruitment process is really quite concerning is that something that you actually make efforts to address, James, as part of your selection process? Because, I mean, there's no getting away from the fact that our industry has to deal with a high number of applications. Do you find ways around that that you can do within, within your processes? Yeah, I mean, we, we absolutely try our best to give candidates, you know, what we see as a, as a valuable experience. And, you know, when we designed the current iteration of the recruitment process, you know, part of the undertone behind that was around, uh, you know, how can we make it more of a learning experience than just a recruitment process? Of course, you know, kind of with the kind of volume that we, we see with 70,000 applications across a, an entire campaign, across all those programs, it's very, very difficult to offer a very high touch um, process at, that, at those very first initial stages. But we've invested a lot in the technology that we use to try and give them meaningful uh, insight into what they've applied to and how to do well in the assessments, for example, or if they, you know, go through the first stage of assessment and they haven't uh, been successful, you know, we've, we've tried to make the feedback reports that are generated as effective as possible to give them something to learn from. And then obviously throughout the process, as we spend more time with individuals, we, we, we really try to add value through, whether it's through coaching webinars or even one-to-one -one discussions, you know, when they're kind of Final stages as well. We, we do everything we can to add value. So Ben, I wonder if I wonder if you've got any more sort of more particular thoughts on it. I mean, it's it's tempting to say that it's not the IC type of member that will be ghosting individuals because whether even if it's just an automated you know application process, you put your application and you do get some form of response. 
those numbers are high, aren't they? 16, 67% of 60 17 year olds are more likely to be ghosted than average. Um, so that's young people. And also particularly for black candidates, 25% of them are more likely to be ghosted than average. Um, do you think this is something that's specific for the pandemic or is it something a real a real issue that the recruitment industry needs to needs to tackle? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's an industry issue, to be honest. And I don't think, you know, no, nobody's doing this on purpose, or at least I, I certainly hope they're not. James referenced there just the kind of the, the sheer volume of, of applicants. And that's only going to get worse. I mean, the government's own projections are that there's going to be a lot more unemployed people kind of by the um, by the middle of this year. And, you know, in a, in a situation where you've got more people unemployed, applications go up. Sometimes the quality of those applications suffers a little bit because people are getting a little bit more kind of desperate. They're doing more, so they're they're, they're cutting corners. And it's hard, you know, if you're a, a super stretched, lean um, recruitment team, it can be really difficult to manage those kind of increases. I guess what we spend a lot of our time doing with, with our clients is trying to help utilize technology and some clever kind of process design stuff to mean that actually you can really simplify the contact that you have with people you can simplify things james talked there about kind of feedback reports coming out of the system you can use really a lot of the tools that are out there at the moment to make it better and to to take some of those i hesitate to say low value tasks because actually i think they're very high value but from the point of view of a recruiter somebody working internally you can take those away. You can get technology to do that for you. You can add value to people. You can make them feel that they've at least been seen, they've been acknowledged, and you can build your brand at the same time. But if you don't have that technology in place, if you haven't worked through some you know, intelligent kind of process design to make things as efficient as possible, it can be really difficult. So I think in a lot of cases, this is more around simply not finding the time and things slipping through the cracks rather than something intentional in, in relation to particular particular groups, albeit, you know, maybe there is a little bit of that going on. James, what have you found through the pandemic? Um, is this, um, it's the, the stats around that I mentioned before, and, you know, 25% of black candidates saying and they're more likely to have been ghosted being too defensive about it, I'm just saying it's probably not our kind of members. But I do wonder if there's something around actually candidates from low social mobility groups, low social economic backgrounds, or from historically more disadvantaged groups who tend to come into through university into, into graduate type roles. Have you found diversity has been harder to work on through the pandemic, James, or or actually being able to do everything digitally, less face-to-face has actually made the diversity piece a bit easier for you to tackle with? I would say that it's probably uh, in terms of like, you know, our throughput and how we approach diverse candidates through the process, it's, it's largely been similar in terms of, let's say, things like adverse impacts or the general uh, proportionality of students that are applying to us and so on. But I, I think, you know, we're very, very much in tune and aware with some of the things that you've mentioned there, particularly around those from a black ethnic minority or those from a, you know, a low socioeconomic background and the need to provide more support or, or, or at least, you know, the, the, the opportunity to engage with support should they need it. Um, you know, and we're very, very conscious of that within the recruitment process. I think I mentioned before about, you know, kind of value-added content or um, insight sessions or weekly webinars, and anything we can do to help support individuals have their best shot at the next stage of the process. And I think something we're, we, you know, acutely aware of with the nature of the type of organisation we, you know, we work within and some of the clients that we ultimately work with as well, you know, is is constantly, you know, trying to move away from hiring for polish. And we've, you know, we've worked with strength-based recruitment for a long, long time, you know, but we, we have to constantly work with the business to ensure 
that everything we do has the minimal amount of adverse impact within it. And obviously, we're looking for any potential unconscious bias and proactively working with the business to work on that. And I think any 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 organisation worth their salt at the moment is thinking about that too. So if we spot anything within the company at the moment, you know, that might be adversely impacting any particular group, we're consciously taking that discussion to whether it's our supplier or even an area of the business where that might be the case and obviously working to rectify that as well. So do you think it's got, um, has it got easier or, or harder through the pandemic, James, to make a difference when it comes to diversity? I think it's probably got slightly easier if we're talking about the fact that, you know, I think through things like, you know, what happened with the Black Lives Matter movement and so on, it's, it was already prevalent in terms of a dialogue within the business and, you know, and many businesses, but it's gone to a whole new level now. There's, there's much more of a momentum behind it. So I'd say it's been easier. Still more to do, though. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm not saying by any means that the problem's um, anything like solved. Is that something you recognised as well, Ben, throughout through the pandemic, some of the work you've been doing? That that sort of impact on diversity is, is technology making it, I'm hesitant to use the word, so I just can't think of a better one right now. But actually, there are opportunities to reach a broader range of students and be better at this. Yeah, there are. And actually, one of the one of the kind of the really interesting um, things that we've been doing a lot of work um, on is, is actually around the, you know, the candidate journey before application. And that's, I guess, a an area which isn't always kind of considered because, you know, you put your media out there and you've got your website and then people apply. And it seems a lot of organisations, I think, look at that as in quite a kind of simplistic way. But actually what we've been doing a lot of work on is around, the, you know, not just the journey, but also the user experience on the site and how we can make it really, really good, really intuitive for people from all different backgrounds. And that, I think, is a, a real growth area, um, certainly for us. And I think it's a kind of an acknowledgement in the market that, you know, it isn't just about process as such, but it's about that whole kind of, uh, what would you call it, that whole kind of landscape around attraction and engagement. One of the things we're, we're doing a lot of work around is, um, I think, all sequential storytelling, which is all about kind of engaging people um, in a series of developing pieces of content that add up to one really nice developing story. And the, the principle behind this, it's a YouTube concept, believe it or not. The principle behind this is that, you know, people will, you know, if they're a little bit hesitant, a little bit kind of not 100% sure, they might take a little bite-sized piece of content and then go away and have a bit of a think about it. But then if they're intrigued, they'll come back and do it a little bit more and then a little bit more. And it starts to kind of build from there. And the reason I mentioned that in terms of diversity is certainly a lot of the research I've done over, over the years. Those candidates, as you rightly say, from low socioeconomic backgrounds, from backgrounds where they haven't got family members who work in that industry and so on, tend to be very, very easily put off. Something on the website that doesn't feel quite right. The content isn't quite speaking to them as a group. Whereas if you can be really clever about the story that you're trying to tell, so it's not just about pictures of diverse people, but really bring those stories to life of the people that work in the organization, the kind of the commitment to uh, diversity and so on, then you've got this amazing opportunity to engage people before they've come into the formal process. And that makes it a lot easier for people once they're, once they're into it. So yeah, I, I think to an extent, the kind of the increased awareness, I mean, it's a fantastic thing, but I think it's about looking at how you can use the whole you know every touch point that you've got within that candidate journey from the first awareness through to um, onboarding and making sure that it is as uh, accessible and as engaging for all groups as you possibly can 
Um, one of the other things we, we mentioned is ahead of the um, podcast around um, the gender piece and your research actually mirrors ISC research, which is that the female candidates are much less likely to apply for a job at a large corporate, but they are more likely to get and accept an offer. So that's to me says that it's an attraction piece. It's actually if you get the applications coming through, then actually that should follow through and, and we'll get a better balance in our, in our recruitment numbers. I mean, James EY is predominantly in the, I guess, sort of professional services finance sector, which is mm-hmm. at, at times actually, you know, struggle to get a, get an equal balance, shall we say, of male and female candidates. Is this as a whole something that you're still kind of seeing as an issue and something that, that you're trying to tackle? Yeah, absolutely. You know, female students and their association with um, professional services, but more so the kind of the accounting and taxation side of things, you know, it tends to certainly be more possible, um, sorry, popular amongst uh, male students. So, you know, that's something we're constantly battling it uh, with. You know, and there's lots that we've done around this space and continue to. It's been interesting to try new techniques. Um, uh, to be able to drive the diversity and attraction. So, for example, a lot of what we've done around the virtual events, you know, has been, you know, because we're not having to go to specific universities or schools or whatever, you know, we can bring students to us. So we've been able to really kind of focus on particular topics that might appeal to a much broader audience and a particular demographic. So, you know, we ran a spring campaign around uh, specifically around well-being. Um, we we actually partnered with some celebrities as well during that week uh, to help endorse that week. And, and as such, we saw around 75% of that audience were female. And there's more traditional things like, you know, the type of collateral that you have, the role models that you have in terms of, you know, representation out on campus and on events as well. Um, but I'm a big believer as well in kind of building relationships from, from an early stage. So we've done a lot of work to, to build pipeline from the very first year of university and spend much more time in, in kind of that area rather than kind of just in time graduate recruitment, just focusing on final years. And one of the comments I've heard, James, is that female students, they need to be a lot more comfortable that the job's right for them before they apply, whereas um, a male candidate might be right, well, I can do I can do half of that. Is that something that you see coming through, or is that a little bit of an unfair sort of stereotype on both sides? I think if, if I look at it at a macro level in terms of the data, then we, we probably see that to some extent in terms of the trends of applications. So, you know, we do tend to see uh, more of a proportion of male students applying in those early months. So if we open, let's say, in August, you know, August, September, October is where it starts to kick in and there's kind of a lag there. And we that's when we start to see more female students apply. But, it, you know, they hit their peak probably around November, December time in terms of that proportionality as well as the overall volume. So, so I suppose at a macro level, that probably checks out. Was there anything more that the sort of research chucked up in this area, Ben, on the, on the gender piece? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key stats in here is that female candidates were 38% more likely to accept a role than male candidates. And obviously, I, I, you know, I don't have the granularity to be able to say exactly why that is. But I do think that confidence is uh, one of the key things that impacts on people applying for roles. Yeah, you know, the, the fact that men are appear much more likely to turn down a job and look for something that they think is better or that who knows, might be paid more or whatever it might be, uh, is a really interesting thing. And I, I kind of, I really feel for uh, employers trying to deal with this, but there's so many uh, challenges around this in terms of peer pressure, in terms of kind of more traditional gender role expectations that are, that are potentially perpetuated within kind of the family environment and school environment and so on. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, th there's definitely a story in there around um, you know, the difference in attitude between uh, female and male candidates, but I don't think it's something that we're going to solve overnight. Um, you're also starting to talk about Renee, which you mentioned a bit earlier as well. So that was um, something I wanted to explore a little bit more. So just remind me, what did the what did your research show on Renee? That there were quite a high number of people who'd accepted jobs that were that were still looking. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was seventy eight percent say that they are either uh, already uh, still looking for um, other things, or they're um, they're kind of waiting to see biding their time. So these are the people that actually had had found roles. Then when you look at the people who turned down roles, actually it was quite a significant percentage uh, as well. And some of them, uh, surprisingly, we actually asked, you know, have you have you turned down a role or have you turned down multiple roles? And there was quite a significant percentage who turned down multiple roles as well. But again, when you look at the, there's, there's quite a significant industry skew um, in the data, which again, I think is absolutely down to what we've seen over the course of COVID. People have gone where the jobs are. So 44% of our total applicant pool have been mainly targeting roles in large retail organisations. A lot of those roles will be casual, uh, as we've again seen in the data. did talk to a few clients about this particular thing as well while we were uh, putting the report together, and a couple of them said, we're not expecting to keep a lot of the people that we recruited over this period long term. We're pleased that we've got them um, and hopefully some of them are already finding that, you know, we've got good career opportunities. We've got great flexible working in that particular sector. So they will stay. But I think there's a recognition that people have gone and done jobs that maybe are outside of their you know, their normal career in order to kind of make ends meet. So it's going to be an interesting one, I think, over the next kind of, you know, six to 12 months to see how that pans out. Is it something you're worried about, James, or do you think that sort of the length of process and the level of engagement to get into an organisation like EY means it's, it might be a slightly different mindset for your candidates? I don't know, what, what do you think might be the case? Yeah, I mean, the application stats, I know many, many organisations have kind of reported overall increases, would suggest to me that we're probably attracting people from uh, further afield that maybe had first choices, you know, elsewhere, but, but, but you know, there's a general lack of opportunity. Whether or not they make it all the way through, that's a different question. As you say, you know, we test heavily for motivation as well as, you know, all of the kind of capability and, and, and cognitive side of things as well. So, yeah, to, to receive an offer, they're going to have to be amongst a very, very small proportion of those that initially apply. But what we've seen in terms of the data around just general declines and, and renades is, you know, that has reduced in, in, in compared to previous years. And possibly that's the pandemic and people holding on to their offer and, you know, being less likely to chance their arm. And, you know, you have multiple offers and, and, and kind of turning down at the last minute or kind of go to another organisation. Possibly, I don't know. Um, but, you know, we certainly saw a sharp decrease in that over the past couple of years since, you know, the pandemic has kicked in. So, you know, I think it links back to that point that what is the bombshell that's waiting to go off when they join the organisation? And that's probably where our attention focuses to is that integration piece and how we can really get them embedded and entrenched in, in EY and, and, and see themselves having a future career here as well. And you mentioned at the beginning kind of that concept of people joining who haven't necessarily met you know, their colleagues and their teams and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I know that, 
you know, there, there's been a kind of an explosion in kind of onboarding technologies and in that kind of, you know, a real understanding that you've got to work harder than ever in order to actually get people kind of integrated into an organization, let alone kind of onboard. So how, how have you guys kind of approached that challenge? So I think in the first year, you know, uh, obviously everything we did switched virtually, but it was all very similar, if I'm honest, to the normal process of sending them off to college to do their professional qualifications. There was more emphasis around, you know, obviously keeping in touch with people and buddies being involved and so on and so forth. Um, but there was a recognition, I think, that um, actually we could have done more. And this year, we've, um, we, we, you know, we, months out, we've been looking at an onboarding plan and working with our induction team and what that looks like. A lot of that is focusing on the first 90-day experience and, and really trying to establish what are those key milestones and touch points to give the individual, uh, as they join as well, you know, a, a viewpoint as to what, what's coming in the next few months so that they have that almost kind of psychological contract as to what to expect. Whereas I think we were kind of flying blind and kind of rolling with it last year like most organizations we're much more on the front foot no surprise is a big emphasis of that is where we can find connect uh, connectivity between them through kind of social interaction and buddies and all that stuff we, we're putting much more emphasis behind that as well and where when we can and think safely about bringing people back into offices you know that's being explored too so just as a final piece, I wonder if it was worth reflecting on, on you know, what does the future look like around technology and what can we do to, what are the learnings been to the pandemic that we can do to make better use of, of technology and crucially, you know, improve some of those diversity issues that we've, that we've been talking about. Um, can I go to you, Ben, first? What, what's your view on that technology picture at the moment? Yeah, so it's a it's a really interesting one. And I guess the kind of the conclusion that we came to um, out of this research is that technology has obviously had a huge impact but there's been an awful lot of other stuff happening as well. So going back to kind of um, application volumes increasing and candidates becoming a little bit more sophisticated in what they're looking for and so on. So overall, I think our stats suggest that the experience is kind of okay, um, but could definitely do with improvement. And certainly the, the biggest single element of the process that our job seekers singled out as wanting to improve was the application process. You know, referred earlier to the fact that it takes roughly 50 minutes on average to complete an application. I don't think it's just about time, but I think it's about the ease and the accessibility of it. <clears throat> and for me, technology's got a massive um, part to play there. I think part of the challenge, though, is if you think about the staggering range of technology that's available now, from chatbots and engagement platforms, obviously your ATS um, assessment tools, onboarding platforms uh, you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's bewildering and quite a lot of organizations that um, we've worked with over the course of the last kind of couple of years since we started have got lots and lots of different technologies that theoretically do lots of things to solve problems in relation to the candidate experience but actually they've kind of been thrown in you know without any um, real consideration to how you can integrate that journey so one of the key things that I would uh, advise people to do is don't just go out and buy a chatbot or buy a new ATS if you think your ATS isn't working or buy a whatever. Think really, really carefully about the design of the experience that you're trying to provide. Get some feedback from the different groups that you're particularly trying to target and design an experience that is going to give them really good and compelling content, loads of support, 
a lot of that support can be automated. That's absolutely fine as long as it's something where people can feel that they're engaging and they have that opportunity um, to engage. Obviously, make sure that you don't ghost people and so on. But if you think about it in that more holistic perspective, there is so much you can do to make the, the whole process from a user perspective, and I'm not talking the candidates here, but from the internal user's perspective, so much easier, so much more efficient. And actually, it takes away a lot of the grief that you get you know, um, by people not getting corresponded with. So um, it's just a kind of a win-win. But as I say, you've got to you've got to think a little bit more about the whole, the design of the entire end-to-end -end process and making sure that you've got the right tools doing the right things, integrated in the right way in a kind of a seamless journey. Um, and if you do that, then um, yeah, you're going to be, um, you're going to be in a really good place. And what, from your perspective, is that, I mean, you, you must have learned loads of things from, you know, moving more attraction online, having to do online assessment centres. I mean, it must have been a considerable um, shift over the last year. Do you think a lot of that will stick? Is are these kind of learnings that, you, that you've made and you've seen improvements, so therefore you will still be doing a lot more attraction and a lot more maybe assessment online than you would have done in the past? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think so. You know, and you hear this kind of word hybrid being thrown around a lot at the moment, but it's kind of the best description of it, really, which is, you know, taking the best bits of what's worked really well. Like I gave you the example of the uh, celebrity-led um, well-being week that we did and the, the, the sheer, you know, critical mass we were able to attract with that kind of technique. Um, but then, you know, there's always a place as well for high-value adaptivity in person. Um, that students still want and, and they're expressing that with us too and obviously that you know yeah then the challenge become, becomes about what do you class as high value at value adaptivity that needs to be in person versus you know what is what is virtual i think that's the biggest challenge is, is understanding where you're going to get the biggest return on investment from both for yourself as a business but also for the for the, for the students themselves um from you so, you know, kind of think that's where we see things going. But, you know, to Ben's point about this kind of seamless experience, you know, we, we see that as, you know, becoming more and more of a need and this notion of immediacy, you know, we live in the kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, the consumer-led slash recruitment experience where the two things are merging and, you know, kind of think about the feedback that we spoke about earlier, you know, think about all the data that you capture in terms of the student performance in the recruitment process you know i think there's more to do in terms of that meaningful insight that we can give them um through how they perform but that works in terms of the business too and you know pro providing the business with insight in how the student has performed so that before they even start they know where to support them with you know learning through the onboarding process and so on and so forth so technology is going to play a huge part in that i see um, and you know it's been it, it's been now that more of it is virtual or is technology enabled then collecting that data means you can be more effective with understanding where the gaps are around diversity so the point around you know how can we become better you, you've got to understand yourself and be able to capture those data points and, and and run regression analysis and looking for adverse impacts you know that that's much of where i see the kind of future student recruitment going Thanks, James. Um, just a very quick final question to both of you. You know, we are talking about hybrid, we're talking about coming out of lockdowns. What do you see the picture at the moment, just about general chatter and positiveness around vacancies? Are, do you think um, vacancies are going to start going up, James, pretty soon, pretty quickly? Yeah, I mean, for us, we, we stay pretty... We were on par with the previous year before the pandemic, and then this year our targets have been similar. If anything, for next year, um, we could likely increase. So I guess we've got a positive outlook, which, which is great for students. I think the interesting thing for me was kind of middle of middle of last year, kind of um, obviously after the uh, from the first lockdown onwards, it was complete doom and gloom. And everyone we were talking to was saying, no, we're not doing anything. 
But interestingly, by kind of mid to late summer last year, it had all started to come back. And I think people realize that actually, you know, there's businesses to be run, you know, you know people still leave, still, people still move on. And there's things to uh, things to get done. And um, it's been really interesting from our perspective. Certainly, um, the clients that we're working with, super confident, they're recruiting heavily and don't see any particular sign of that changing. Now, obviously, there's different industries and some are going to be still struggling a little bit. But uh, overall, I would say the market feels pretty confident, pretty positive at the moment, which is um, which is marvellous. That's great. James, Ben, thank you very much. That's been a really rich and informative conversation. We've covered an awful lot of ground there. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of one of very, very busy days for you at the moment. So, and thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. Um, please visit our podcast channel. Also our webinars, we're producing about one webinar a week. So loads of content for you on all the topics that we're all facing in the industry at the moment. Hope to talk to you all soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, James. Talk again soon. Thank you. Cheers.